Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. So thank you so much. Uh, welcome to church today. Thank you for being here. Before I go any further, I want to say hey to all the Denver area campuses, our online campus, Austin, Texas, Brussels, Belgium, and everyone joining us at God Behind Bars. We love you. We're so thankful that you're a part of our church family. Now, if you don't know me, my name is not Sean Johnson. I do not have the tan that he has. I don't have a beard like Ronnie. I don't have the sense of humor or energy or movie quoting abilities that Doug Weckenman has. Uh, but we are lucky here at our church to have great leaders, are we not? And I, and I wanna say to Pastor Sean, thank you for the way that you pastor and you lead our church. Thank you for the way that you love us and you serve us, for the way that you put your family first. Just thank you for who you are. Um, it's honestly, when people say they're humbled by an opportunity, I never quite understood that until I started to feel this way where I'm like, really? Are you sure you don't mean somebody else? I just, it's so humbling to be standing on a stage where so many great men and women of God have stood before me. Um, so thank you for the opportunity. And Sean, we love you and we are thankful that you are a pastor. So we just love our lead pastor, love our lead pastor for a second. Like you've already heard, my name is James Keith. I've got the honor and the privilege of pastoring the Park Meadows campus of Red Rocks Church. What is up, my people? I love our campus and I love our team. And if you live in that area or you live in Lakewood or Littleton or Arvada, will you just get to church on a Sunday morning? Because it is so good at 9 and 11 to worship together, to just be in the same room together. So I want to invite you, if you are available, now, my wife, Brene, and I have been a part of Red Rocks for a while, way back in the golden days. And then at Catfish and Lakewood, and most recently, Brene and I, along with our two kids, Caspian and Bristol, we moved back to America from Belgium, where for the last four and a half years, we have been serving on the Brussels campus team. So Brussels campus, if you are watching right now, we love you. Uh, we miss you. My family misses you. I'm going to try and speak French for a second. Je vous aime. I'm almost certain that means I love you. And if it doesn't, they're laughing right now, which is great. It works. And you guys are laughing too. Um, I cannot wait till we get to visit you someday very, very soon. Now, happy 4th of July, everybody. Hey, if you're in America, gold star for going to or watching church on a holiday, there's a Christian gold star for you. And if you're watching from another country where this is just another day, happy Sunday. Thank you for being here. We're wrapping up this series called Yard Sale. You never know what you're gonna find. And today, you happen to find James Keithley. But before we get going, I wanna pray because you didn't come to hear from me. You came to hear from God. And I feel like he has a word for us today. So let's pray and we'll get started. Oh, God, thank you for life and for breath. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for every single person that is hearing my voice right now. God, I know that it's not an accident and that you are gonna speak so God, we've prayed and we've prepared and we've planned and I just put it all at your feet. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. 
We give this to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, in the summer before my fourth grade year, I got my first pair of glasses. I have terrible eyes. And I don't know why, but I picked the thickest plastic black frames that you have ever seen. I specifically remember the woman at the, at the glasses store looking at me while I'm getting them sized and saying, oh, those make you look very studious. <laughs> and I think that's just the nicest way she could say, you look like a dweeb. And man, I'm sure I did. But when I got to school in the fourth grade, I thought I was the man. And how many of you guys wear glasses or wear contacts? Anybody? Yes, that's a good portion of us. Do you remember when you got your first pair of glasses and you walked outside and you could see? It, all of a sudden, you were like this poet or philosopher or like you just are super high. And you're looking at things like trees and you're like, oh, the leaves of the trees. The blades of grass, everyone distinct and different. The clouds in the sky. All that stuff until that moment was just blurry. It was there, but we didn't know how to see it. We didn't have the right lenses to see it. And what I'm going to talk to us about today is something that I think most of us in this room have heard about before. But for whatever reason, it's like we can't see it. But I want to examine this topic with a lens that illustrates how distinctive it is to our identity as the people of God. I want to remind us who we are. And once you see this, I just don't think that you can look at your faith or your life the same way ever again. I know that it's changed my life. And so I hope that it changes yours. And before I get going, I want to credit a few sources right up top. Because if I credited these guys all through the message every time that they inspired a thought or I quote them, this would be a 90-minute talk. So I'm just going to say real quick, Marty Solomon is a Bible teacher that focuses on the Jewish perspective of Scripture. John Mark Comer and A.J. Swoboda are pastors and writers and teachers in the Pacific Northwest. So if you like something or think it's smart, it's probably them. So let's take a deep breath, get your notes ready. Hey, if you don't take notes, what do you guys do when people say, get your notes ready? Do you just stare? <laughs> so get your notes ready, because we have a lot of ground to cover. So let's start in the beginning. I think that's a good place to start. Um, it, so in the book of Genesis, chapter one, we get this beautiful poetic language. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout that chapter, we, we were walked through God creating anything and everything that we've ever seen or will see. And the final flourish, the finishing touch, is God creating mankind, God creating you and I. When all that is done, let's read in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. Think about this for a second. God creates the earth, calls it good. He creates the sky, the land and the sea. He creates man, animals and plants, calls them good, calls them good, calls them good. Ooh, ooh, this is just a little side note, totally unrelated. I promise it will never come back later in this message. If you read the first chapter of Genesis, you're gonna hear this refrain over and over again. It was evening and it was morning, the first day, the second day, the third day. It was evening and it was morning. And I think we could kind of blow past that when we're reading that today, but that is actually a hint at a Jewish perspective of a day that is different than a Western perspective. Because for you and I, our day starts when we wake up. We rise and grind. We hit, the, we hit the ground running. We go and do our thing. But from a Jewish perspective, the first thing they do every day, their day starts in the evening. The first thing they do every day is they rest. And out of that rest, they work. 
We, they don't work to rest, they rest to work. Totally unrelated, don't worry about it, we'll move on. So the very first thing that God does when he finishes his creation is he rests. He just so happens, and the first thing that he tells mankind to do with his creator is just to be with him. There's work to do. He's already told mankind, this is what I've given you to do, but first, just be with me. The narrative of creation finishes with this statement, God finished his work and he rested on the seventh day. Marty Solomon, that teacher I referenced, he likens it to an artist finishing a work. So think about like Michelangelo. We all know who Michelangelo is, right? He, he sculpted the statue of David. If you ever have a chance to see that bad boy, go see it. Because I promise you, it is bigger than you think and it is worth it. So go see the statue of David. But at some point, Michelangelo had to look at that thing and say, I'm done. It's enough. What I've done is enough. This is, this is good, and I'm going to move on. And that's what God does with the animals, the plants, the sea, and most importantly, with man and with woman. He looks at humanity, at his image bearers, and he calls it good. He calls it enough. There's nothing else I want to do for those people. Now, how foundational can we get that our belief about where we come from, who created the world, that is pretty important to our identity as God's people. But for most of us, this practice of resting on the seventh day, it stays on the page. It stays this abstract thought. And maybe you think, yeah, the, so on the seventh day we go to church, right? Or I, I work during the week on the weekends, I take it easy. And that is all good. That is really good. But it is not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about us looking at that seventh day at the Sabbath with a new lens, different than at least what I grew up with. I grew up hearing that word all the time. I grew up in church, so I was in church every Sunday morning, you better believe it, and I was there on Sunday night. Anybody else go to Sunday night church? And Yeah, that's right. That's, we are super duper saved. I was even in this little, uh, oh man, this is so nerdy. When I was a kid, I was in this thing called JBQ, Junior Bible Quiz. Man, so many people. <laughs> And I remember answering questions. You had these little buzzers and you could ask questions and it'd be like, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I remember these answers. I had a, and my, fa my wife talks about how her family wouldn't let them like leave the house or see their friends because it's the Sabbath, dang it. So you're gonna rest. You're not going anywhere. I grew up vaguely understanding that Sabbath meant don't work, but that's about it. And it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I came to the realization that it's way more than just not going into the office. It is way more than not just going to church on a Sunday. I'm gonna just say, I think that every single one of us should be practicing the Sabbath every single week, and I think it would change your life, and I think it would transform your faith. That is how deeply I believe this word. Let's keep going. The word Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew, I promise, I did not look this up in a Hebrew dictionary. Marty Solomon told me what it means. This, the word Shabbat in Hebrew can be translated to mean to stop or to delight. To Sabbath is to stop and delight. And the first time the people of God, the Israelites, are given this command comes to us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your manservant, your maidservant, or your cattle, protect the cows, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. 
Now just think about the context that this is coming to us in. This is one of the Ten Commandments. We've probably all heard about that. It's the foundational set of laws on which the entire Jewish law is built. And this bad boy just happens to be one of them. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, points out the only spiritual discipline in the Ten Commandments is to Sabbath. It's not pray. It's not memorize scripture. It's Sabbath. The command is given to the Israelites just after they've been set free from centuries, generation after generation of slavery in Egypt. God tells his people after coming out of this season, remember the Sabbath. Remember what? Remember that you're an image bearer, that you are good, and that you're enough. The story the Israelites have been told for centuries was that you are worth what you can produce. Literally, you are worth however many bricks you can produce in a day. That is it. You will work sun up to sundown, and if you cannot produce anymore, or if you get tired, or if you get too sick, you will be removed from the equation. Because what could you possibly have to offer if you can't produce something? Then they're set free, and God tells them, remember. Remember when I made you, I made you in my image. That I called you good and you had value just because of who you are, not because of what you do. When God made man, the first thing he wanted to do was just delight in creation with us. Every week the Sabbath is a reminder that there's nothing that we have to do. We are good and we are enough because of who God made us to be. It's good to remember. And this is the story of God's people. This is what sets them apart. A.J. Swoboda in his book, The Subversive Sabbath, says, remembering is a godly act. Time and again, retrieving the truth of God in the present. That's what we do every week. We retrieve the truth of who God is and who he says that we are. We are so wound up in the Egyptian, and I could, you can absolutely say the American story, that I am what I do, if I, do I have enough? Do I look good enough? Do I have enough set outside in the bank? Do I have enough for retirement? How do I compare to my neighbors? It is so easy for our identities to be wrapped up in exactly what the world says it should be. So remember who you are. Remember, we are, we are told to stop, delight, and remember. And the principal way that the people of God do that is a Sabbath. This isn't the only time in the Torah, the Jewish scripture, that the Israelites are told to do this. We're going to read the second time, but pay attention because it is not exactly the same. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Now, the rest of the command is identical to the part in Exodus, so I'm going to skip to the last part in verse 15. You shall remember you are a servant in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, between these two commands, they're identical. A ton has changed. Forty years have passed. The first time in Exodus, they're at Mount Sinai. They were just liberated from slavery. Forty years later, they're on the banks of the Jordan River, just about to enter the promised land that God has been leading them to. It hasn't been smooth or easy but they're finally just this close. So Moses calls everyone together again, and he says exactly the same Ten Commandments again. Now, the reason being, most of the people who are there now probably weren't alive when they were at Mount Sinai, or they were babies, and they have no memory. And so think about this. 
The first time in Exodus, they're commanded to remember the Sabbath because that's what God did. It's how God made us. It's how God created us. This time, imagine how crazy this is. Moses feels the need to remind these people that they were slaves. Isn't that crazy? 40 years, just a couple of generations, and they are forgetting the fact that they were stinking slaves. What does that say about us as human beings that so quickly we can forget what defines us? I wonder if their practice of the Sabbath had started to seem dry or if it had started to become just a cultural ritual or maybe they started to believe the lie that they gotta produce, they gotta earn, they gotta do something to be worth something. Maybe they lost the delight of the Sabbath. But Moses looks at them and and calls them to remember, you have been set free. I know you know this command, we do it, it's cultural, yes, I understand, but we rest because God rested and he set us free. So we don't have to live by anybody else's rules. This is how God created us. We're designed to have this rhythm of rest every week. Moses calls them to remember, God did a miracle. So do not forget what God has done for us. John Mark Comer says it this way, Sabbath is a way to stay free and make sure you never get sucked back into slavery or worse, become the slave driver yourself. I get it, you guys. I get it. Sabbath is different. Taking a day and doing no work, simply resting, it seems weird. But it is such an important part of the story of the people of God. You cannot miss it. Sabbath reminds them who they are, their image bearers, that they are good and that they are enough and that they have been set free. So they don't live by any other standard than the one that God gives them. Dorothy Bass says, in the two most fundamental stories and beliefs of the Hebrew scriptures, creation and exodus, humanity in God's image and a people liberated from captivity. That's what taking a Sabbath is grounded in. The most foundational aspects of the people of God. Now, centuries after that moment on the banks of the Jordan River, a rabbi from Galilee is starting to gain a following. He's performing miracles, claiming to be the son of God. Jesus even teaches differently than the other rabbis. Scripture tells us that he teaches as one who has authority. And he's a Jewish man in a Jewish culture. So you better believe that he knew a lot about the Sabbath. And you guessed it, he's not silent when it comes to the Sabbath. Let's go to Mark chapter two, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Mmm. I keep on imagining that they taste like sunflower seeds. I'm sure they don't, but I'm imagining they taste like spits dill sunflower seeds. Can I get a witness? They don't. They probably tasted terrible. And the Pharisees said to him, to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, see these disciples picking individual heads of grain. And the reason they're so bent out of shape is because, guys, the command on the Sabbath is to not work. So they're interpreting what the disciples are doing to be harvesting, as if taking individual heads of grain is the same as a farmer harvesting his crop. I think it's clear that those Pharisees have lost the delight of the Sabbath. There's this kind of idea in this, in this religious tradition that if you do anything on the Sabbath, you're breaking it, you're working, stop it. And so Jesus answers their question 
They're super harsh. They're super specific interpretation of what is and isn't work by referencing a story in 1 Samuel. Now, we're not gonna go there, and I'll try to just sum it up for you. Essentially, what happens is David, the King David, soon to be King David, he's hungry, and his men are hungry. They're on the run. And they go to the temple, and they ask the priests, do you have any bread for us? And the priest has no bread except for bread that is offered to God, that is holy, that you cannot touch. No one can even go in and see it. But the priest, he interprets the law correctly. He keeps the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is you feed the hungry when they're hungry. So he interprets the law by taking some bread out and giving it to David. So Jesus is like, what's the big deal here? Isn't what David did a way worse offense than these disciples picking heads of grain? Why are you so focused on this detail? Why is your interpretation so harsh? How does that work? Jesus isn't breaking any Torah law, not at all. Never, don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus broke a law. It's important that he lived a sinless life. He is challenging these Pharisees' super legalistic interpretation of the law. He goes on to say in verse 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I love that he reminds us that Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is a gift for us. It was a gift for us that we're designed to take. And then he, this is the end of the conversation. That's, those are the last words. Nobody has an answer. It's kind of a mic drop moment because he's like, this is the right interpretation and also you're talking to the Lord of the Sabbath. So shut your mouth. <laughs> Don't question my interpretation. In this interaction, Jesus gives us a glimpse of how he practices and interprets Sabbath himself. You focus on the big picture. Remember who you are. You're an image bearer. You are good. You are enough. You are free. It's not about the details. You can get caught up in the details. You can debate what day it is, how long it should be, make giant lists of to-do and do-not lists, whatever. You can do that, but keep the main thing, the main thing. You are good. You are enough. You're an image bearer. You don't serve a God that invites you to do more and more and more and more. You serve a God that invites you to rest. Now, how? How, you might be asking. That is a great question. That is the next thing in my notes. I'm glad you asked. I do want to give some guidelines because I really do want all of us to practice the Sabbath. I think it's that important. But I do want to stay away from too many specifics because we're all different. We have different personalities. We have different stages of life. So rest can and should look different for all of us. The main thing is stop, delight, don't work. Remember who you are. So first, the day. Most of us work jobs where we have two days off or so. Yes? Agreed? Yes? This is my, I came over this all by myself. This is all James. Choose one of those as the day that you don't work. Or at least pick a half day. Now, Brene and I both work Sunday through Thursday. We both work at a church. So our weeks are a bit different than most of yours because our Sundays are actually like our busiest days of the week. So typically on a Thursday evening to a Friday evening, because remember, the Jewish day, this practice that goes all the way back to creation, starts in the evening. So the first thing we do on a Sabbath starts in the evening, Thursday evening to Friday evening. On Thursday evening, we do this little ritual to mark the beginning of this day. And please, don't think that we're super spiritual. I cannot express to you how goofy and silly this looks every week. But we bring all our kids together. They're three and one. And we light a candle. 
and we sing a song. It's more of a chant. It goes like this. Shabbat shalom to mommy. Shabbat shalom to daddy. And our kids are like, ah. <laughs> not much participation yet. But we do that, and then we eat. And we eat sugar. And I do want to talk about sugar for a second. For the most part, we stay away from sugar in our daily life. I know it's hard to believe, but I do try. Uh, <laughs> but on the Sabbath day, we have sugar. And there's actually, that's also rooted in Jewish tradition. There's this idea of fathers giving their sons spoonfuls of honey every Sabbath. And the idea is, for the rest of their life, that little boy's gonna grow up thinking, oh, the Sabbath is sweet. And it is sweet. We watch movies, we go on dates, we sleep in, we eat a big breakfast, we take naps, we exercise. Again, I promise I do. We journal, we read scripture, we don't shut off our phones, but I do wanna talk about phones for a second. Um, I think that if any of us are slaves to anything, it's our smartphones. Do you wanna know how many times an average iPhone user touches their phone in the day? This is gonna freak you out, I warn you. 2,600 times. And that's an average. So some of you crazy people are touching it like 8,000 times a day. And then all of you guys who are like, no, 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 not me. I'm sure I've been to four or 500. That's a lot of times, you guys. We are slaves to this thing. So to remind us that we aren't, we sit those bad boys on a kitchen counter and we check them once or twice. We eat really well. We regularly spend time with good friends. We do whatever restores us, whatever fills us up. And if something doesn't, we just remember not to do it next time because there's another Sabbath every week. We're still new at this. We're still just focusing on the basics to stop, delight, and remember who we are and be with God. Now, do we do that perfectly every time? I don't wanna make it look like we're super spiritual. Man, we are such goofballs. We're so, oh man. If you should see me watching eating M&Ms on my couch, like by myself late at night, I'm just such a goofball. I'm not some like great spiritual father, but we are trying hard because it's so foundational to who we are. And I cannot tell you how much it transforms my week. We try really hard to not shop or run errands on that day. So all throughout the week, we're like preparing to leave this last day free. So it changes every single day because we gotta leave that one free. And it's not just in a practical sense, in a deep spiritual sense. You know how you get tired and you feel discouraged? I can tell myself, oh, I know Sabbath is coming. I know that rest is just around the corner. Now, don't take that as prescriptive. Seriously, don't. Note takers, the seven of you in this room, cross, if you grow to all those, like, as a, I gotta do all these things, don't do that. We're constantly trying to make changes, and it should look different for all of us, but I do wanna give us some practical things. So you guys, can you put up that slide of those general practices and band? You guys can mosey on up here. You got plenty of time, you can mosey. The first thing there is what restores us, what fills us up. That's Brene and I's question. Marty Solomon, that Jewish teacher, the Jewish perspective on scripture, he does this goofy thing on the Sabbath, which I think some of you guys might relate to. He doesn't make his bed. Isn't that funny? And every time that he walks by his bed, this is, it's funny, but it's, it's a little profound. He sees the tangled sheets and the blankets, and he's reminded, even when my life looks like that, I'm good. I'm enough. I'm an image bearer, and I am free. He, taught, he teaches his kids that saying right there. We rest, we play, no work. God loves us. John Mark Comer, the writer of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, is this rest? Is this worship? 
AJ Swoboda, another writer that I've quoted in this message, we stole straight up the lighting the candle, singing the song, having a big breakfast. All of that is his, his Sabbath practice. John Mark Comer also gives us those four words at the bottom, stop, rest, delight, and worship. And I'm not talking about worship as singing a song, but worship can be singing a song. When we worship in song, we are worshiping with our voices, with our words. When we Sabbath, we are worshiping with our time. So it is a good, good way to worship. And that's all my suggestion for the how. I honestly think it's counterproductive for me to stand up here and give you a giant list and lead you down the road of the Pharisees. I want us to keep the main thing the main thing. We, we Sabbath, we rest because we're good, because we're enough, because we're free. That is why we Sabbath. I do have one more thing there. This is different than a day off. Day offs are great. John Mark Comer describes a day off as the day where you do all the work and activity you're not paid to do. We know what that's like. We have a lot to get done. We've got projects to do and things to do. But that's different than the Sabbath. And yes, there are emergencies on the Sabbath sometimes. So we'll answer the phone or we'll go do something. If my son breaks his leg someday, I won't say, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. We'll go to the hospital tomorrow. No. Of course, it's not legalism. It's not the details. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And I'm warning you, it's gonna take time for you to get used to this. It's hard. It could not be more countercultural than the world that we live in. It is a huge distinctive for the people of God. And I promise if you get started, you will probably make mistakes. And you realize you worked, you got too focused on the wrong thing, or you're, you're not at rest. If that happens, bring it back to God, get back to rest, and remember, the Sabbath is coming. There's another one next week. Now, I'm not stupid, or at least I'm not super stupid. I know that a lot of you in this room and watching online, you, are, you have already created a great argument about why you can't do this. You have so many good reasons. Maybe you have lots of kids, or you're working on a thing in the house, or that's a day where you do the side hustle, and you're trying to pay off debt. I get it, and I'm not trying to discount any of that. I know that our life is full. The very last thing I'm trying to do is give you another thing to feel guilty about. I'm inviting you to rest. That's it. But I do want to tell you when we started the Sabbath, our story. We started a Sabbath about two years ago, really focused on this practice. And we lived in Belgium. We had a one-year-old son. My wife was pregnant with our second. She was getting a master's degree in theology, which she did complete. So if you want to be proper, you can refer to her as Master Brene <laughs> moving forward. And we were part of a four-person church planning team in a foreign country away from our entire family. We were busy. It was a lot. And it was a dream job. It was a dream job with great people, and we loved our son, and we're so excited about our second. We are so blessed, but we were barely hanging on. And that's not because there was something wrong. We were just missing this thing. The invitation to rest was right there. We just had to take it, and it changed everything for us. Now, everyone, I know I've been talking for a while, so look at me. Look at me for a second. I am not trying to twist your arm here. I am not trying to force you to do anything. I can't force you to do anything. I'm inviting you to the rest that we were designed for and commanded to do. That's all I'm doing. So as a pastor and as a friend, oh, man, I urge you to consider this. 
don't just shrug this off. I know how easy that can be to just say, thanks, but no thanks. I've got my own thing. Please do not do that. Please do not do that. There is no judgment here. This is not a salvation issue. But you know how Jesus talks to us about he came to give us abundant life? This is the abundant life. This is an invitation to life like it was meant to be lived. Now, I'll be honest. I had a lot of fear in, like, in creating this message and sharing this with you guys. Um, I, it, it's easier to just come up here and say things that I know everybody's already doing or everybody already agrees with. I know that it's a big change, that it's different. I know that I'm asking a lot. I, I know that we have a lot going on in our lives. Oh, but man, I believe that Sabbath can change your life. I really think God in his wisdom led us up to this point at the end of the yard sale series. Honestly, we said we, we never know what we were going to get. I think we got Sabbath because I heard it in every message. Ronnie started us off by discussing what we do when we don't feel free. And I love that message. You remember how I talked about the world system versus God's system? How the world system is, I am what I do. And God's system is, God telling us, you are what I have done. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like Moses telling the Israelites, remember who you are? You are the people of God. You are set free. You are good and you're enough and you don't serve anything but me. Jimmy Rollins preached a great message where he talked about stopping, decreasing your velocity so God can speak vision to you. Be still, seek the face of God, not just his hands and what he can do for us. I loved that he reminded us that it brings joy to God's heart and we just want to be with him. And he said, Jesus is never in a hurry. Pastor Sean's message out of John 15 called us to remain and abide with God. Attach yourself to the vine. I remember him putting up that picture and saying, if there was a branch that was not attached to the vine, why would we expect there to be fruit on that branch? I think we do that with Sabbath. I think that we can look at Sabbath and we're asking, God, I want to sense your presence. I want to be at rest. Give me strength. Give me courage. Give me endurance. Man, it's right there. The Sabbath is right there. A.J. Swoboda says this, we should not pray for God to do what we are supposed to do. Now, don't misunderstand me there. I'm not saying this is works-based. I'm not saying that it depends on us. I'm not limiting God. God can do whatever he wants to do because he is a sovereign God. But this thing has been sitting there literally since the beginning of time. So why would we pray for rest and for God's presence when it's like that joke about that guy stuck on a roof in the flood and the boat comes by and asks if they need a ride and then a helicopter comes by and asks if he needs a ride. He dies, he gets to heaven and asks God, where were you, God? I sent you a boat. I sent you the helicopter. I sent you the Sabbath. I gave you the gift of Sabbath. Doug, last week, when you know, he, he said very early on, when you know who you are, you'll know what, you, what to do. So who are we? We're the people of God. The people of God that have been set apart since the beginning of time as those that don't struggle and strive for the same things that the world does. We don't break our backs in labor. The title of his message, to be Jesus people, he said this exactly. I'm not putting words in his mouth. Practice trusting the truth that has set you free. It's all right there, man. And I feel like, and when I say I feel like the series has been le leading up to this point, I'm not like adding on to their message. 
I'm not saying that this is some magic bullet, that if you do this, you're gonna get tan, and you're gonna lose weight, and all your dreams are gonna come true. You don't do the Sabbath because you want something. You do it because you were designed to do it. It's a practice that's a gift to us. It reminds us of who we are, that we are free. It connects us to who God is and who God says that we are. And it's just sitting there. So why would we ignore that? Why would we ignore that? Why do we think we know better than the creator of the universe? John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That kind of love is not new. And it wasn't new with Jesus. It has been there from day one. When God created mankind, and when he created you, he looked at you and he just sees you. He doesn't see what your friends see, what your, what your parents see. He doesn't see what your spouse sees. He just sees you. And you know what he says? Just like he did on the first day. Oh, that's good. That is enough. That, is, that one looks like me. That's my image right there. Just to be transparent for a second, there are a ton of times that I don't feel that way about myself. I always feel like I fall short and I screw up and I beat myself up mentally. But when I Sabbath, I remind myself that God does see me that way. And that love compelled Jesus to come to the earth, to make right what was wrong, to bring healing and hope and salvation to the entire world for every one of us. Ultimately, ultimately that love compelled him to the cross as an ultimate expression of love for every single one of us. And when Jesus died and he defeated death, hell, and the grave, that made us free. We're not set free from Egypt, people of God. We are set free from death. And that is really, really good news. People of God, we are free. So why do our lives and our schedules not look like it? In the New Testament, there are multiple times that we're given the picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, a position of rest and of authority. When Jesus was on the cross, the very last word he said before he died was, it is finished. Does that sound like something that God said when he created mankind? When his work was done in creation, he said, oh, it's good, it's finished, it's enough. Jesus came to the earth to do a work and he did it. And now he's at rest. The story of the people of God started with rest and it will end with rest. By contrast, the devil is always depicted as going to and fro about the earth, constantly prowling around, never at rest, always striving, always working. So which story do you wanna be a part of today? There's a story that God has been writing from literally the beginning of time. And I wanna invite you into that story today. When Jesus died on the cross, it's the ultimate fulfillment of what God's been saying to you and to me from day one. Oh, you are so good. You are enough. You bear my image and you are free. So just be with me, just be with me. Church, that is why we Sabbath. 
because it points us to the most important things about who God is and who God says that we are. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna ask a couple questions. First, I wanna talk to the people who are church people, who've been following Jesus for a while. And something in this message, something that I've said, something the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you're sensing, I I need that rest. And I need to focus on this practice and this gift that God's given me. So if that's you and you're thinking, I'm gonna make a commitment to focus on the Sabbath in my life, please raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now. It's a lot of us. Do that in Jesus' name. And there's a second question I wanna ask. There are those of you who do not know Jesus, who I don't know why you came in or why you're watching today, but you don't have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And when I'm talking about this rest, maybe it's the first time that you've heard that you are good and that you're enough and that you bear God's image. But I'm telling you that it's true. It's been true from day one. I'm not like twisting the words to make it say what I wanted to say. It's there. This is the story of God's people. So if you wanna put your faith in Jesus, if you wanna join God's people today, the Bible tells us if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you wanna do that today, will you just raise your hand? Or if you're online, will you just click that salvation button? Or will you let a friend know today that you made a commitment to follow Jesus? Because there is ultimate and perfect rest at our disposal. We just gotta enter into it. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness and for your love. Thank you for the kindness of the gift of Sabbath. Thank you, God, that you made us this way. And God, just thank you for your love. The love that we can never understand, we can never deserve, but you just gave it to us. Thank you for who you are. Let us be your people. Let us be a people marked by rest and by peace. Let us never forget that we are good, that we are enough, that we are your image bearer, and that we are free. And it's all because of you, not because of us. It is in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's worship.